I hope that you had a merry, merry Christmas. And if you're join, joining with us from home today, I hope that you had a merry Christmas as well. It was different, wasn't it? It was a much different Christmas. We had the quietest Christmas around the Clanton household I can ever remember having. It was a beautiful Christmas, but we did a lot of Zoom meetings, FaceTime meetings, and Skype meetings, and even did a new meeting on something called Discord. I, you know, that's a brand new one for me, and so we were using Discord, and I talked to nieces and nephews and my sisters and their husbands, my our mothers. It was just such a wonderful, wonderful Christmas. Different, but it was wonderful. And I hope that you had a good Christmas as well. And you know, my wife, she just outdid herself again this year. I just kind of said to her at the beginning of the season, I said, look, all the kids aren't coming in this year. The grandchildren won't be here. I said, you know, you don't have to do as much as normal. She went all out, and she said, we're going to celebrate Christmas like we always do, which meant she cooked like she always cooks as well. So I've been enjoying Christmas every day since then, Pastor Corey, and um, it was all good food. And I dropped Benjamin off at the airport this morning before coming to church and um, just enjoyed the fact that he was able to fly home and be with us. It's been an unusual year, and I also want to say thank you. We got so many cards, and I don't open any cards. You may not be aware of this. Some people are, but I don't open any cards until after the Christmas Eve service. And when we go home from Christmas Eve, and Becky has some refreshments for us, I sit by the fire, and I open every single card, and I read them, and uh, your greetings, and I think one of the greetings that meant the most to me this year, and this really touched my heart, was someone says, Pastor, thank you for staying with us through the COVID crisis, and not running or fleeing, and I'm so thankful that you have stuck with us, those of you watch online, and we picked up new folks and families from other states that you're watching online as well. Some of you watch after the service has already been posted, and um, I've had the opportunity of praying with you and corresponding with you. And I'm so thankful that you're a part of our Woodland family as well. But I want to talk to you about the lessons that we've learned from 2020. This has been an unusual, usual year, a much different year than one we've ever had before. We were rocked. Who would have dreamed at our Christmas at 2019 when I was looking at the videos and the pictures from our Christmas last year? Who would have ever dreamed that this would be the kind of Christmas that it was? I would have never dreamed that I would be preaching the funerals that I did this year for COVID, of people who had died from COVID. I would have never dreamed that we would not have an in-person Easter service, but that I would stand here on this podium, this platform, and I would preach to a camera on Sunday morning, on Easter morning, with only the pastors and some tech people that were here with us to help us do the service. It was just a totally different year. And who would have ever dreamed, and I have to admit, I love this, who would have ever dreamed that we would be gathering outside under the shade trees and tents, when the wind would be blowing sometimes 35 and 40 miles an hour, and other times when the sun would be shining and people would be finding the coolest shade they could and fanning themselves. But we had church, two services every Sunday right outside. 
It's been an amazing, amazing year. And who would have ever dreamed I got to pray over one of the COVID babies that had been born that uh, was conceived during the very beginning of COVID when everybody had to stay home. And I got to welcome that baby and pray over that baby this week. It's been an unusual year, but yet I am so thankful for what God has done. But there have been some unusual things that have happened that I want to talk to you about as well. You know, we've never seen a time in America like this one. We had a COVID pandemic that's affected the whole world. It caused an economic uh, event that prospered those that are very well-to-do, and it caused those that are not so well-to-do to suffer more than what they would have suffered. It will be years before we're able to fully ascertain just how much that the economic toll that the COVID crisis took on our economy and the global economy. We had political unrest. I've never seen as bitterly a fault a political campaign in my lifetime. I've asked those that are older than me was because the one I've read about that was the most bitter was the Goldwater Johnson campaign, but I've been told that even that one wasn't as bitter as the one that took place this year. We've never seen the kind of protests that took place in America, the racial upheaval that took place, and the protest marches against injustice and racial inequality that took place in our nation. Now, friends, you might think, well, the civil rights marches, they were historic, but this year they were eclipsed by the number of people who actually participated in a march Estimates I have read are from 16 million to 21 and a half million people marched in those racial marches that took place. And this year there was just across the spectrum of people that were protesting. So we come to the end of the year, and there's a lot to celebrate, but there's a lot for us to reflect and to think upon. The Bible tells us that the prophets, the prophets would when they would prophesy, there would be some foretelling elements in their predictive prophecies. They talked about the birth of Jesus. They talked about the second coming of the Lord. But what I've discovered is that sometimes people can spend so much time looking at the predictive signs that they miss what the message is that the prophets were preaching. People are looking for signs of Jesus' return. And they miss the message of Revelation, and they miss the message of Matthew 24 and 25, and they miss the message of the book of Daniel because they're so focused upon the prophetic signs. And there's nothing wrong with looking at the signs. Even Jesus tells us that we need to be aware of them. But sometimes people miss what God was saying, the message that he wanted people to change. We don't see the revelation of who God really is, his holiness, his character, his will. We don't see his message of his relationship to sinful humanity and why he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for our sins so that we could be redeemed and born again. We miss the message of what's going to happen when Christ comes back to those those who have rejected Christ and to those that have accepted Christ. Sometimes we miss the message that we were the objects of God's love. I met in Tennessee a few years ago with a group of people who, 
who study prophecy, and as I listen to them talk about the signs, and I was privileged to be invited, I was privileged to be a part of that meeting, and over lunch when I would had the freedom to speak, I just simply said, what was the message of the prophecy? What was the message of Jesus? And suddenly, one of them said, wow, that's a good point. You know, we're so busy looking at the signs, we forget the message, where Jesus tells us that at the end, those will be judged who took care of the marginalized. They will be welcomed in the kingdom, and those who did not care for them, they will be excluded from the kingdom. Some will say, Jesus, when do we ever see you poor or thirsty or hungry or sick and dying or in prison? And Jesus will say, when, I did, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Some just excuse their sins and don't understand that God takes sin seriously because when you read the message of Revelation, the message of Revelation is all about the character of our holy God and the glory and the holiness of our risen and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And he speaks to seven churches about the sins that are still sins that the church battles with today. And he tells us we must return to our first love. We must repent of those sins. We must put those things away. And if we do, we will be victorious and we will be overcomers and we will be welcomed and we're encouraged. The suffering church especially is encouraged because they see what's going on in heaven and what's going on in heaven today is God is being worshipped and adored. Jesus is at the very center of the universe. John said, I saw a throne at the very center of the universe and upon that throne was a lamb looking as though he had been slain from the foundation of the world, and that lamb was the lion of Judah. And Daniel, the message was to those who were suffering in the diaspora after they had been taken away to Babylon because of the sins of Israel. And the message was encouragement that God was going to bless them. God was going to bring them back as they repented of their sins and God would restore them. There is always hope with God. And the generation that went was the generation that came back. And beloved, I want you to hear me today. We don't want to just look at the signs of what happened in 2020. We want to ask ourselves, what is God saying to us in 2020, and what's the message? Alex Motyer is probably my favorite commentator on the book of Isaiah. Listen to what he wrote. We were in a foreign land, speaking about the Israelis, we were in a foreign land in bondage under the sentence of death, but our mediator, the one who stands between us and God, came to us with the promise of deliverance. We trusted in the promises of God, took shelter under the blood of the Lamb, and He led us out. Now we are on our way to the promised land. We are not there yet, of course. But we have the law to guide us, and through blood sacrifices, we also have His presence in our midst. So He will stay with us until we get to our true country, our everlasting home. Those are words that every Christian can say today. We're under the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinful, sinless life, and was demonstrated to be the Son of God by the signs and wonders, and was crucified for our sins at Calvary. And by His blood, we just sang it this morning, by His blood and by His grace, we've been set free. And this world is not our home. He is 
with us. He has promised to be with us forevermore, and he will be with us until he calls us all, either by death or through his second coming, until he calls us all to our eternal home. That's the same thing that those Israelis could say and that you and I say under the new covenant today. So I'd like you to stand with me, if you would, out of respect for the word of the Lord. And I want to take you to one of those prophets. His name is Jeremiah. And Jeremiah wrote to the children of Israel. And his prophecy was read by Daniel and loved by Daniel. And Daniel's whole message, a lot of it came out of the book of Jeremiah. So this is what the prophet Jeremiah wrote. This is what the Lord says, stop at the crossroads and look around. Say that word with me, stop. Say it again, stop. You know, years ago I learned what that word meant. I was on my way to preach a funeral in Georgia, and I slowed down. I was going less than five miles an hour. I did a California stop, as we call it. I went through that stop sign less than five miles an hour, and a police officer pulled me. And I protested. I said, look, I was going less than five miles an hour. You know that. He said, that's not the point. That sign doesn't say slow down. That sign doesn't say less than five miles an hour. It says stop. $45 fine taught me my lesson to stop. Do you understand that? So to stop doesn't mean we just slow down. To stop doesn't mean we just kind of coast through it. To stop doesn't mean there's not a police officer around because God is everywhere. Amen? Stop. Stop what you're doing. Reflect. That's what we're doing this morning on this last Sunday of the year in 2020. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. I want us to look at the old godly way this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you right now. I agree with what Pastor Corey said. I, I believe that you're going to equip me and help me to preach this message this morning. Help me to say no more or no less than what you once said to our congregation today. But I pray that this word will stick to our side. It will grow inside of us. Lord, I pray that in the name of Jesus, that the enemy will not be able to steal this word from our hearts. I pray that the cares of this world or the cares during this coronavirus will not grow up and choke out this word in our heart. I pray that even as Jesus taught, that, Lord, there will not be birds of the air coming and stealing the seed that is sown in our hearts. But I pray that this word will fall upon fertile ground and it will bring forth fruit that will produce a hundredfold in our lives, in our church, and in our community, and in the hearts and lives of everyone who is listening this morning. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. When I stop and think about all that's happened this year, I recognize that there is a lot I don't understand. There's a lot that's happened I do not understand. I would never have expected this kind of year to take place after the wonderful Christmas and holiday season we had last year. And so that, with that in mind, I want to say to you, first of all, that considering all that I do not understand, humility is vital in my life. Humility is vital in your life. Humility is vital in the life of the church. 
And yet we live in a culture where it doesn't seem that there's a whole lot of humility taking place. Opinions are expressed so strongly and in a manner that is not conducive at all to any intelligent conversation and dialogue on a, among us. You see, social media and the talking heads on the news, they encourage shouting rather than listening. As I've watched some news shows and newscasts, I hear people constantly being shouted down by the, either the host that invited them on or by the opposing view, and people saying, let me finish, let me finish, and the other person just refuses to stop talking, and they get louder and louder. It's got to the point where there's very few news telecasts that I watch anymore. I choose to read more to get my news because of the shouting that's taking place. There's not conversation going on. There's polarization rather than consensus. In other words, we get polarized into our camps and polarized and we identify people and if they disagree with us, then we somehow or another, it's become the job in American culture and American society to take the people who disagree with them and to paint them as being morally depraved or to paint them as being our enemies. We have watched over the last 15, 20 years as we've seen something evolve, I remember when President G.W. Bush was described as Adolf Hitler, and the name Hitler was thrown out, and things that were said about President Obama, things that have been said about President Trump. There's been this dialogue taking place among our elected legislators nationally and even state and local sometimes, where we have tried to paint people as enemies. It's hard anymore to say that you're an American because people want to know what kind of American are you. And in some cases, this has bled over into congregations and churches. I get calls from pastors saying to me, how do I deal with this? We have people in our church, they're divided over how we handle the coronavirus. I've got people divided over face masks. I've, I've got people divided over politics and has created conflict and disagreements in our church. We were peaceful until this happened. And sometimes it's important to step back, friends, and to walk humbly before God and to walk humbly with one another, even though that we may not disagree all the time. You see, if there's anything I've learned during this pandemic, there are, and listen carefully, there are known unknowns. There's something we know now about the coronavirus. We don't know how it's going to mutate. We don't know exactly how it's going to happen. The best research that I've been able to read on the subject doesn't say it was a virus that was, that was developed in a lab in Wuhan, China, but that's become a popular thing. I even read that from a committed follower of Jesus Christ, Dr. Francis Collins, who is the head of the National Institute of Health and, and is a, someone that I've quoted before, who does not believe in any way that that was concocted in a virus, but if they've been able to trace the animals it has descended from, that it came from. It's part of that ongoing process that has happened. There are known unknowns, but what frightens me, if I can use that word, what frightens me is the unknown unknowns. It's the thing that we don't know about that's still out there. And so it's important that we walk humbly with one another, 
Thank God we know more about the coronavirus now than we did at the beginning. Thank God there have been some abuses that have been exposed in our nation so that they can be healed and they can be justified and they can be rectified. A number of years ago, I shared with you how my nephew, who my sister-in-law and brother-in-law adopted as a baby who's a, who's a beautiful, handsome, strong, intelligent black young man, but because he was going into his grandmother's house into a predominantly white neighborhood, somebody called the police and says, there's a break-in, and police shown up with their guns drawn and made him come out and get on the ground, hands up, because he was a black man. It was the wrong thing to do and the wrong way to handle it. And so when you talk to black families and they tell me, we tell our sons and daughters, if you get pulled by the police, put both hands on the steering wheel. Don't back talk. Be kind. Be respectful. Do whatever you're asked to do. I've never told my children they had to be worried for their lives. And yet these black families live with some of those challenges. And I'm not faulting the police for that. I'm not faulting the community for that. I'm just saying there's still racial problems in our nation that we have to deal with. There are known unknowns, and there are unknown unknowns. But what truly bothers me is the fact that people aren't confident enough to say, I don't know, in answer to some of the questions that were asked. There are many times as a pastor... People will come to me and say, Pastor, what should I do? And I have to simply say to them, I don't know. But I promise you, if you'll go to the Word with me and if you'll pray with me, we will pray and we will seek God for an answer. God has an answer for whatever you're going through. I assure you that God has an answer for you. But I, I want you to pray with me. I don't want to do your thinking for you. You're responsible to read your Bible. You're responsible to pray. But I will pray with you and I will share with you what I think God is saying. Sometimes before we would had to stop meeting at Starbucks, I would meet with people, some of you from our congregation, some of our people in our community, and they would ask me a question, and I would have to say, I don't know, but I promise you, I will help you pray, or I could connect them with someone that knew more about what they were talking about. But I did a search just recently, and I've yet to find a governor or a mayor or a presidential candidate that in response to a question has said, I don't know. And there's a lot of pressure on our leaders. We want our leaders to know what to do. We want our president to know what to do. We want a general to know what to do. We want our mayor to know what to do. We want a civic leader to know what to do. There's a lot of pressure upon them by their constituencies. I think it's one of the reasons that we're encouraged by the Apostle Paul who lived under the persecution of the Roman government who lived under an oppressive government that was every bit as bad as Stalin's government would have been, crucifying people by the hundreds up and down highways to put the fear of Rome in their hearts, people that were forced into slavery, taking slaves from other countries and marching them ahead of their armies so that they would be killed before their citizens would be killed, an oppressive government who did the same things that the Iranians did to the Iraqis when they would send children across the minefields in the Iran-Iraq war. Rome was that oppressive government, and yet Paul says, pray for them, yield to them, submit to them. 
And I think it's important that we as Christians once again visit and say to ourselves, we have to walk humbly before God and humbly with one another. Look at this passage of Scripture with me, if you would, please. Remember. First word I asked you to say was stop. Now I'd like you to say the word remember. Would you say it with me? Remember. I've been going back through my journal, reading my journal, especially those first days of the COVID crisis, the summertime. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness. And friends, I believe that God has been leading us through a wilderness. When this thing first started, I found myself face down on this carpet right here for days, seeking the Lord, saying, God, how do we get through this? What are you going to do? What are you saying to us? Remember how the Lord led your God, led you through the wilderness for these 40 years. Look at what he was doing, humbling you and testing you to prove your character. And I got to tell you, I am so grateful for the character of Woodland Church. I am so grateful for how I've seen our church respond during this pandemic to the poor, to the marginalized, for missions to one another. He's done it to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. He did this to humble you and test you, look at this, underline it in your outline, for your own good. And the reason that God has allowed this COVID crisis to come upon us, not just in our nation, not just the world, but even to affect and to afflict the church, I believe has been to humble us and teach us how to depend upon him, and God is going to bring good out of it. When you can't say, I don't know, when you've got to be right and you shout down your opponents and you describe them as enemies and you refuse to enter into the dialogue, it's because your ego is so supreme that you're building parapets and you're building fortresses that are nothing more than paper that when the wind and the rain comes, they're going to collapse. It's as though Jesus says, you're building your house upon a house, a foundation of sand. Ego will not get you through this next year, but humbling yourself before the hand, before, under the hand of Almighty God. God has said, if you will humble yourself under my mighty hand, I will lift you up. I will lift you up and I will pull you through and I'll bring you through. Look at what the Lord says in Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 19. The humble will be filled with fresh joy from the Lord. How many of you could use a dose of fresh joy? How many of you could use a fresh baptism of joy? How many of you would like to just have your heart just one more time bathed in joy? The key is walk humbly with God and walk humbly with one another. Benjamin Franklin, I love to read his stories and I love to read about his life. I love all of that colonial American history and our nation's founding fathers. But Benjamin Franklin had built a relationship with the Puritan pastor Cotton Mather when he was a young man. As a matter of fact, I have two volumes of Pastor Mather's sermons in my office. They're a little difficult to read, but they are so rich in content and material. But they also give you a picture of the history of those 13 colonies as Pastor Mather was leading during that time. But as a young man, Mather was at, excuse me, Franklin was at Mather's house. And as he was getting ready to leave, he was talking to the pastor. And like I do sometimes, he was walking backwards while he was talking. And all of a sudden, Pastor Mather says, stoop, 
stoop. And, and Franklin, rather than stopping, Franklin, rather than listening, Franklin kept going backwards saying, what, what? And bang, he hit his head upon a low-hanging beam in front of the door. It was the way that Pastor Mather's house was built, and he was knocked down. Franklin says, I was embarrassed. Franklin says, I was in pain. And he said, but Pastor Mather said to me, he said, you're young and you have the world before you. Stoop as you go through it and you will avoid many hard thumps. Can I say something, especially to the younger people who are listening to me today? Don't you be deceived by the shouting politicians. Don't you be deceived by the shouting, talking heads on television. Don't you be deceived by the hotheads who can't say, I don't know. I'm telling you, learn to humble yourself. Learn to stoop. Learn to bend. Learn to be flexible. And you will get through this life victoriously and without taking all the lumps and the thumps that other people are going to take in this life. It's so important. Have you ever watched humble and meek people trying to get through a crowd? Especially somebody who's been taught humility from the Orient. They go, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, and everybody just lets them through. And sometimes we Americans, we want to be like John Wayne, out of my way, pilgrim. And then somebody else just doesn't want to move. When we walk humbly before God and with one another, God will always make a way. The second thing I'd like you to see this morning is stiffen your spine, soften your heart, and trust in God. Stiffen your spine, soften your heart, and trust in God. Say that with me. Stiffen your spine, soften your heart, trust in God. I was talking to one of the men of our church, loves his employees, has a business, and I asked him a few years ago during the crisis we were going through in the nation at that time, I says, what do you tell your employees when they get fearful and upset and worried? He says, I tell them to suck it up and buck it up. Suck it up and buck it up. I tell them, get in there. We got to get the job done. We're not going to give up. Have courage, in other words. And that was one of the things I felt like the Lord was saying to me in those first early days of the coronavirus. Because, see, one of the ways, look at me, one of the ways you can identify an idol is when your idol is threatened, you get afraid, you get fearful. What am I going to do if the economy collapses? What am I going to do if the healthcare system collapses? And I've listened to so many and read so much in the news of people saying, what are we going to do? We're going to do what people have always done. We're going to put our faith and our trust in God. And if we can stand the pulling, God is going to pull us through. When we're saying to ourselves that everything is wrong and there is no hope, we've got our eyes on the wrong thing. We've got our trust upon the wrong thing. When we're saying that everything is falling apart and there is no hope, we have put our focus upon an idol rather than upon the living God. God will not fail the passionate follower of Jesus Christ. God will pull us through. Listen to what the Scripture says. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. I have preached a lot of funerals during this time, and it has been difficult. I have preached the funerals of those who 
gave their hearts to Christ just a few days before they died. I preached the funerals of those that have followed Christ for a long time. And unfortunately, the funerals of some that as far as we're aware, they never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. I want to say to you this morning, no matter where you're at and no matter what kind of pain you're walking through right now, be patient. If you will humble yourself, that all godly way of humility. About 2 o'clock this morning, I awoke. Didn't want to awake, but I awoke. Have you ever had one of those mornings where you just didn't want to wake up yet, and it was 2 o'clock, and got up, got some water, and came back and lay down beside Becky, and I couldn't sleep, and so I was laying there, and I just began thinking, thinking about the message and thinking about all the things that I thought was so important when I was young, all the things that I was pursuing when I was young, all the things that I was worried about when I was young. The more I thought about those things, I realized how faithful and how good God has been. And I am so glad that God has allowed me to live long enough to say to you this morning, be patient Take courage. God knows your name. God knows how many hairs you have on your head or how many you don't have on your head. God knows you inside and out, and he loves you. You are the object of his desire. That's what Christmas was all about. That's what we were sharing during the communion this morning. God loves you, and Jesus Christ is coming, and he may come before I die, but if he does not come before you and I die, understand this, to be absent from the body, body is to be present with the Lord. We are pilgrims under the blood of the Lamb. This world is not our home. He is going to pull us through. Somebody say amen this morning. I am so thankful. I am thankful for things that I never knew I would be thankful for. When I say soften your heart and trust in God, I live in a time where God, and you know, one year ago, you know I would have never said this, but God has given us Facebook. God has given us YouTube. God has given us Zoom. As a matter of fact, last year, I preached a message about, and I still believe, how you need to really guard and be zealous about how much time you spend on social media and what it's doing to you. But this year, I've been so thankful we could do the daily prayer updates, and we could do our Saturday prayer service, and when we can meet online and have services on Facebook and YouTube, I'm so thankful this morning that I'm able to do Zoom meetings with people and pray, and I've been able to counsel with people like that. I'm so thankful for babies that have been conceived during COVID crisis. I called some folks this week, and just while I was driving to different places, and says, tell me what you've learned from COVID. And one of them said, oh, pastor, COVID's a great year for us. I said, why? He says, we've been able to spend more time together. We've both been able to work from home, and we're going to have a baby, pastor. We're going to be another one of those COVID babies you're going to be talking about. Isn't that good news? You see, there's so much to be thankful for that God is pulling us through. I'm thankful for our educators that have been teaching online and teaching in school. 
I want to see our kids back in school. I want to see kids back in class. But I'm so thankful we haven't had to stop. I'm thankful for people <clears throat> that have kept our community running. The people who work in the grocery stores, stocking the shelves and the meat counters and the produce counters. The people that work at night cleaning so you can come in and shop. I walked into Kroger one day. One of the young men from our church, Christian, greeted me with wide open arms and said, Pastor, air hug. We can't hug. But there he was in the midst of what well, we didn't understand a lot about this. I knew he was smiling under that mask because of the way his eyes looked. But he followed me around the store for a little while. And friends, I'm thankful for people like that. I'm thankful for people that worked at the pharmacies, for the policemen who have been out there. I'm thankful for someone from our church that was praying with protesters in the streets of Detroit and knelt down and prayed with them. I'm thankful for people like doctors and nurses who have been fighting COVID. I'm thankful for those that have worked on the front lines of the fire department as well. I'm thankful for the ambulance drivers and the trash collection people. I'm I'm thankful for our local politicians who did not give up on our communities and have been working hard. I'm thankful for our small group leaders and Pastor Corey and Pastor Mark and Pastor Rick. I'm thankful for our deacons. I am thankful for this congregation. Friends, hear me this morning. Trust in God. Soften your heart and stiffen your spine. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is showing up at the grocery store, showing up at the emergency room, showing up for the Zoom meeting. Courage is doing the right thing during the COVID crisis because you've got a tender heart before God and before people, and you trust that God's going to pull you through this time. That's what the Word of the Lord would say to us this morning. So, while others have broke down, your pastor is stoked up this morning, and I'm probably preaching a little too loud, so I'll try to dial it back and be more whatever in my style for the next few minutes. Look at Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11. God has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. What a powerful verse. I believe that some of you are listening right now, and I'm closing because I'm out of time. But I believe that God is speaking to some of you right now, and it's because there's eternity in your heart. You know there's a God. And though you've tried hard to struggle against putting your faith in God and trusting Jesus, you know that Christmas matters. You know the whole world stops for Christmas, even those that don't believe because God took on human flesh and came and dwelt among us, born of the virgin, lived a sinless life, proved his divinity by his miracles, died upon that cross and shed his blood so you could be set free, rose again and ascended into heaven in a bodily form. That's important. Because Jesus didn't ascend as a spirit. Jesus ascended as a man. And there at the right hand of the Father, he is ever interceding for you and me. And because God is in the flesh, Look at me. Don't miss this. 
Adam and Eve failed in the flesh. Christ succeeded in the flesh. And because Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father and intercedes for you, you know you're going to complete your race. You're going to fulfill the purpose for which God created you for. Young people seem to grasp this better than older people do. Maybe it's because we've had our noses bloodied, we've had our ears cauliflowered, we've had heartbreaks and disappointments. My prayer is God's going to renew your faith and you're going to dream big again. And you're going to trust God. You're going to have a soft heart. And you're going to have a stiff spine. Because God's not done with you yet. If he was, you'd be in heaven. God's got a plan. Young people dream. I was talking to my nephew last night. He's recently married. Great first job. Great firm that he's working with. After three years, they've just bought their first home. They're so excited. They were sending us pictures and just telling us all about it last night. I'm so proud of him. But just listening to his, and his wife's name's Rebecca too, just listening to their dreams. I thought about that last night. How good it is to dream. Are you dreaming? If I've got a lesson for you for 2021, walk humbly, stiffen your spine, soften your heart, trust in God. And understand what's happening in you this morning is eternity is telling you there's more to life than this life we live upon this earth. And you may not understand it all. I want you to listen. This is important. If anybody should have known that Jesus was going to be born, it was the priest and King Herod. They had the whole Bible. Remember what I said? People look for signs and miss the message. All Herod wanted to know was, what's the sign? Where's he supposed to be born? And the priest could tell him the sign, but Herod and the priest missed the message. And because they missed the message, Herod tried to kill the infant Jesus. But those wise men, now listen to me, those wise men took whatever fragments of the scripture they had, probably the book of Jeremiah, probably the book of Micah, maybe the prophecy of Balaam, because that would have been something that would have been bought to Babylon during the diaspora. For Balaam said, There will be a star arise from Jacob. And those three wise men, astrologers, magi, whatever you want to call them, they took the little bit they had and eternity in their heart caused them to follow the star. And they did not rejoice over the star. They rejoiced over the Savior. And they knelt and they worshiped and they gave their gifts because something so much more important than the star was right in front of them. And something so much more important than the signs of the times is right in front of you this morning. 
And that something is a someone, and his name is Jesus. You don't have to understand it all, but I know you understand John 3:16. For God loved the world, that's you and me, so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Would you stand with me this morning? Let me pray with you. Lord, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. The day star has arisen in our hearts. Christ lives within us. God took on human flesh. You became one of us. And you, Lord, sinless that you were, you carried our sins and our diseases to the cross. And there you shed your blood for us. <laughs> but the devil and death could not keep you in the grave. <laughs> For on the third day, God raised you up, Lord. And you have ascended back. And one day, you will return just like we saw you go. So I know there are a lot of people, Lord, that may be listening online. Maybe some that are here this morning. They don't have a lot of information. But like the wise men, the little bit they have, eternity is calling from their hearts. And so I ask you right now, convict them and give them the courage, the stiff spine. Give them a soft heart to humble themselves before you and help them to trust you to save them and to give them a brand new life. Would you pray with me right now? You may not know how to pray, so let me just kind of lead you in a prayer. But if you're sincere and you mean this, God will hear you and forgive you of your sins. He'll give you a brand new life, a fresh start. You'll still look the same, but you will be a brand new person. Pray this with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving this whole world. And the end of this year, on this Sunday afternoon, I give you my heart and I give you my life. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sins and come into my heart and life and make me a brand new person. So as much as I know how, Pastor Corey is going to come and dismiss you this morning. God bless you. I love you. Can I just pray a prayer of blessing over you before you go while he's coming? May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord smile upon you and grant you peace. May he be gracious to you in everything you do. And may he make you both prosperous and productive for his glory and for his honor. I hope you have a wonderful, happy new year. Thank you, Pastor. If you prayed that
prayer with Pastor Clanton. We have this little book that we want to send to you. And so uh, if you're here in the congregation, you can just stop by one of the tables and just ask for it. Uh, but if you're watching online, you can email us at office at woodland.church. And we'd love to send this to you to help you in your next steps and your journey and your faith and help you to continue to grow. And so uh, please let us know that you prayed that prayer and we'll send this out to you. Also on your way out, don't forget to give. Um, you can give through our website. You can give through the app. You can text to give as well. Um, but don't forget to give this week. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Happy New Year.